Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on individuals who have created their dream life, best fit role or business. I focus on how they've played to their natural strengths, those activities that energize and inspire them, and how they've conducted mini experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. I'm excited to be chatting with Samantha Sutherland, who prefers to be called Sam today. Her background is in corporate. Uh, For example, she worked at Origin and Risk Management. She transitioned out and created a number of businesses. She's now focusing on helping women get the most out of their lives around their corporate work and doing strategy workshops for corporate teams as well. So welcome, Sam. Hello. Thanks for having me fantastic to have you. So first up, I'd like you to share with us a bit about your work history. Okay. Well, when I was at uni, I did accounting and finance and I didn't really like it even at the time. I remember doing this subject and saying to my friend before the marks came out, if I did well in this subject, don't let me convince myself that I liked it. (laughs) And then I got a graduate job at Deloitte doing corporate organization. And it was another one like that, like two weeks in, I knew that it was not the job I wanted to do, but I felt I should get my CA and I stayed for about a year and a half. And then I just couldn't cope with it anymore. And I moved to London and over there, I worked for EDF Energy doing performance reporting and then risk management. I actually really liked that work and I really liked the people and I loved living in London. And then when I came back, I decided to try and stay in energy. So I got a job at Origin Energy as a risk manager. But then the kind of discontent I was feeling with my life was growing and growing. And I decided I wanted to try and step out of corporate And I didn't quite know what to do, so I studied a little bit part-time while I was working and then started a blog and stuff. And then I got an offer to be the CEO of a small medical practice and I could do it four days a week. And so I took that and stepped out of sort of big corporate and kept working on my blog and my own thing and then did heaps of experimenting around my own business and ended up where I am now, which is doing corporate strategy workshops. Brilliant. So I know you really from the Everyday Adventure and Caper Club. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the mini experiments that led up to that? Yeah. So the Caper Club was sort of a mission I was on to get women who worked in corporate not eating lunch at their desk every day. And so I would take people in Sydney CBD off to do various adventures. So one of the best ones was a private tour of the Biennale in the Museum of Contemporary Art. And then we did a treasure hunt around the rocks one week and we did a life drawing class. And so we did activities like that and it was really good fun. And so, I mean, I guess I just got to the Caper Club by darting things and just seeing what happened and how it worked out. So really my advice to people when they're starting a, their own business now is it almost doesn't matter what you start doing because whatever you end up doing is not going to be what you start at. So you have to start so you can move on from it. <laughs> um, and I think arriving at the Caper Club was a bit like that. Like I knew that I felt really passionate about not having to blow up your whole life to enjoy it and being able to find fun in the pockets that we have like lunch hours and yeah, I just tried a bit of this and a bit of that and then 
tried that idea and really enjoyed it. Can you recall what your first one or two ideas were? Well, I started doing a nutrition blog. Um, so I, it was when I was wanting to study part-time, I thought maybe I would like to study nutrition. So instead of going full-time back to uni, I just did like a sort of online program thing for a year and started a blog around that. And then I did some coaching and the very first weekend group weekend coaching part of the program, they said, Sam, this isn't really you. And I was like, I know, I just want people to have more fun. And the Everyday Adventure came out of that. <laughs> so then I think with the Everyday Adventure, I started with an online program, which I still sell called Everyday Evolution. And that's an eight-week program where you get a challenge in a different area of life every month, every week, sorry, and kind of work through it and make small changes in your life to bring out the Everyday Adventure. And the reason I started with online was because I was pregnant by then. And so I wanted to be able to do it passively-ish um, and then realized that actually I really, really love in-person stuff. And so then experimented around with when worked for me and for the people that I wanted to surf and take on adventures. And that's how I landed at the Caper Club. <laughs> ah, yeah, perfect. So it was actually quite a circular process, wasn't it? I had no idea where I was going when I started. I just knew it was more a movement away than a movement towards. And then as as I moved further away, then I became more deliberate about what I was moving towards. And it's so helpful, I think, for you to yeah, give that hint, which is actually just start because it's you may not end up where you start and you'll only end up where you need to go by simply starting. Yeah, because I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves to figure out exactly what it is they're going to do before they bother starting, and when it that just isn't how it happens. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's done that. And isn't that interesting? It's interesting. So I'm actually uh, working with Sam to figure out one of her next beautiful big visions, and Sam just told me that you've that you're actually feeling stuck about making this next big vision happening, and I wonder if you need to listen to your own advice. <laughs> well, that's true. I think the difference at the moment is that I feel like limited in my energy to approach the experiments, which I mean, I suppose really just means I need to be mindful of what I make the experiment because I tend to go in like full capacity, <laughs> whereas the experiment needs to reflect where you're at and maybe where I'm at now is to do small mini experiments as I try and work my way towards it. Oh, beautiful. I like that. So I'm going to quickly recap you know, one framework to use with mini experiments. So Sam's has talked about perhaps making her mini experiment a bit smaller than they have been in the past because she's a full throttle girl. And so with mini experiments, you can pick from a one hour one or a one to three month one or a year long one. And again, you get to choose what frequency that you, you know, connect with this mini experiment, whether it's um, an hour a week or more. And and we know that consistent small steps yield momentum and big results. So even starting with that one hour is really significant. And I think once you've had success in a number of areas, you may think, but surely I can just go a bit faster with the next thing. Surely I can just take some big steps. But what I'm hearing you say is actually getting back to those small mini experiments could serve you well. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it until we talked about it just now. But yes, I mean, I know you've thought about it because <laughs> that's the way you roll. But I think you're exactly right that I've been, I've done a lot of stuff and a lot of experimenting. And so I kind of want to hurry up and get onto the next thing. 
um, and tend the experiments that I come up with tend to be really big. I don't know if they're year long, but big ones. But then the size of that is daunting me because of my limited energy at the moment. The consistency thing is really important as well. So the people that I know that have been the most successful in their own businesses are the ones who are really consistent and just keep on delivering and keep on providing content and keep on putting out offerings and they're just consistent, consistent. They're not chopping and changing all the time. And like, while I think you can chop and change to get through the mini experiments, I guess I think that that's with the purpose in mind of eventually getting to like a year long mini experiment, which where you then provide the consistency through that whole year. And that seems to me to pretty universally be the way to actually achieve success. Perfect. Yeah, that makes sense. And so what we want is our dream life best fit role or business to match our strengths well. So why don't we share a bit about your strengths before we go into your top hints for the episode. So I'll just read them out for you. So Sam has communication, woo, which is winning others over, activator, competition and command, Sam, could you reflect either your strategy workshops or caper club and perhaps share with us how your strengths align well with one or both of those? Yeah, well, so with the corporate strategy workshops, um, I tend to do half-day or full-day workshops with teams and help them work out the direction that they're taking over the next six to 12 months and then come up with real actions to move forward with. And then often we'll do kind of follow-up coaching stuff with them. It actually suits most of them. So communication, obviously I'm standing up in front of everybody when I'm doing it, but I'm also, I'm actually pretty good at distilling ideas down so that everybody can understand them and like drawing the points out of people that they're trying to make and then making it a bit clearer. So that's communication. Winning others over, I think it's helpful that that's one of my strengths when I'm standing up in front of a group of people. Um, But interestingly, like every strength has its negative side. And for me, when I'm doing the workshops, the negative side of woo is, what if they don't like me (laughs) as I'm up there? And then... Activation is helpful for those because I'm not I'm interested in actually getting people through to implementation. Like I don't want to just get people excited and then you walk away and nothing ever changes out of it because that's actually really demotivating, has the opposite effect. Competition. I don't know how that comes out in the workshops. I'm sure it does. Nikki can tell us in a second. And then command is means that I'm comfortable standing up in front of a room of people telling them what to do basically so a lot of them come out in that one yeah that's great to hear so we want alignment between you know our roles and our strengths as closely as possible how does competition come out I wonder if you know you're determined to have high standards for yourself and the team you're in front of I wonder if you measure results for them or for yourself those kinds of things I definitely want to deliver high quality product. I don't do any measuring of results, but I do really enjoy the ongoing coaching that I'll often do. So I might, you know, I might do like a full day workshop with a whole team of 25 and then do monthly or every two months coaching session with the leadership team. And that helps keep everybody focused on the stuff that they agreed on. And so either it's is this stuff still important? Yes, it is. Okay, let's make sure that the work that you're actually doing leads to those things that you decided were important. Or is this still important? No. Okay, well, that's fine. Let's refocus what it is you're trying to achieve now. And so maybe the competition means that I like that so it doesn't just, the ball just doesn't get dropped afterwards. I like to actually see it come to fruition. Yeah, I think being results focused would play into that for sure. That's great. And 
with our weaknesses, we want to partner with someone who has that as a strength or outsource or eliminate the need for us to do the tasks associated with them. What do you think is one of your weaknesses and how do you mitigate it? Well, I don't know if this is a weakness. I'm really extroverted and so I like working with people and I think out loud often. So I find it really hard to work in a vacuum at home. And so one way to mitigate that is to have coaches that I bounce ideas off and talk to about what I'm actually doing. What I have not done just because of limited resources, but I would like to do in the future is just have a coach who instead of just being high level strategy kind of coaching would be more like what I'm talking about doing with the groups that I work with, the sort of implementation coaching so I can talk through the details of what I'm actually doing. I really like that, like having people to bounce ideas off. So when I did the nutrition course online, they did, it was part nutrition stuff and then part business development stuff. And then they also did some mindset stuff and they went through Myers-Briggs. So I am ENTJ which is also called the executive or something. And so we're really good leaders and often do well in corporate settings and stuff, which is true for me. And he describes the extrovert-introvert difference. And he says, you know, do you ever go up to somebody and you ask them a question and then like five minutes later you're like, are they still talking? And my team at Origin was exactly like that. They hired 25 people who I managed by the time I left there. And they'd come up and say, Sam, should we do A or B? And I'd be like, well we could do A or we could do B or what do you think? Do you think A or do you think B or we could do A or we could do B? It's A. A is the answer. <laughs> and, but I needed to go through that talking out loud about it before. So they would just lead, learn to just stand patiently by while I just blah, 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 and then came to the answer. And once I got to the answer, I was always very definite, but it was just arriving there. It takes a while sometimes. Exactly. And that extroverted style means thinking aloud. So, and again, we honestly want you to be yourself. Your personality is fantastic. So it's really, you know, really encourage everyone to find out their strengths so that you can start shaping a role to match it. Because if we don't, then we feel like that square peg in a round hole and we do get drained. So even that, I love how your team got used to it and it was okay. I think it was probably helped by the fact that I always did actually get to a definite thing at the end. <laughs> so they knew. They knew they just had to wait it out and they'd get their answer. They knew that patience would yield a very positive result and they just needed to listen. <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, part of the reason I invited Sam on today was we had a chat recently and I was really inspired by her childhood stories of her negotiating her pocket money with her dad and also how that translated to her being confident, you know, negotiating salaries in the workplace. And so we figured out that there's three topics or hints that Sam's going to share today. So the first one, could we talk about the pocket money and the negotiating salary experience? Okay. So when I was a kid, I must have been about like 11, that sort of age, I decided that I wanted my independence and that included financial independence. (laughs) And so the way I was going to get that was to convince my parents to give me an allowance. And with that allowance, I would then be responsible for buying all the things that I had to buy that you need to buy as an 11 year old, obviously. (laughs) So I went to them with this proposal and I was like, I think we should work out everything that 
you currently spend money on for me and allow me to manage that myself through an allowance. So we worked out what would be included. So it was books and presents and toys and clothes outside of what they thought was a reasonable amount of clothes for me to have. No medical stuff, no school stuff. They paid for all of that. But then we worked out how much I was going to get. And I think it was, it started at $30 a month, which when I was that age was an astronomical amount of money. And the way that we came to that number was I actually got all the bank statements for the past, I don't know how many months and went through them and marked off all the things that were related to me. And then we added it all up and averaged it all out and then came to this number. And so I was given that much every month and I had to manage myself how much, how I spent my money. Um, and then my dad decided it was such a good idea that he implemented it for my older brother as well. But which like the biggest injustice in history, they actually decided to give him more than me because he was older. And that drove me crazy because I'd also done all the work to make this all happen. And Ben didn't even care. He's just like, well, whatever. Okay. Give me some money. And, um, then I remember when I must've been like about 15 and I went into high school. And so Ben and I were both in, my brother and I were both in high school and I successfully argued that we were actually now at the same stage of life and he therefore didn't deserve to be paid any more than I was. And dad was like, oh, yeah, that's a good argument. Same stage of life. Okay. And then we got the same amount of allowance. It's like a win, a huge win for Sutherland. <laughs> and so I did that um, right up until I was at well, – I forget when my parents stopped paying, giving me an allowance. Like whenever I got a job, whatever, it was 16 or something. Um, yeah, so that was my sort of first negotiating experience. <laughs> I, do, I love your determination with it and the amount of effort that went into making it happen. I know. It's, it was really driven by my desire for independence, which I still massively have. It's interesting because I was talking to a friend about my sister who has it too, but in the two of us it manifests quite differently. And in me, I'm like – you're not the boss of me. And I really fight to make my, to like retain my freedom. Whereas my sister is more inclined to be like, yeah, sure. And then just do what she wants anyway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, different way that you express it. So do you feel like that positive experience uh, helped you to negotiate salaries at work or what's your take on negotiating salaries at work? Yeah. I mean, it really did. I, in three years, I doubled my salary through negotiations. So I definitely think it helped. Um, I guess my top tips for salary negotiation are don't say the first number because almost any time you don't say a number and then get offered an amount. Every time I've done that, I've been offered more than I would have been happy to accept the role for. And then the other thing, particularly for women, is to really back yourself and ask for an amount that you think is ridiculous. So when they used to do bonus evaluations at Origin, they your the maximum bonus might be, I don't know, 40% of your salary or something, but then they give you a percentage of that total bonus available amount. And so if you were meeting expectations, you would get 60% of the total available bonus amount. And if you're exceeding, you might go up to 80 or 90%. And if you are not meeting all the way down to nothing, what I found was that the women who worked in my team, they would regularly say, yeah, well, I'm doing exactly what my job description says. I should be meeting expectations. 60% salary seems fair. Whereas many of the guys 
would be like, yeah, I'm doing an awesome job, 90% salary, please. And it was really hard, even as a manager who saw that maybe that woman was doing a better job than that that guy, it's hard, it's hard to balance out the numbers when people come in at such vastly different um, places. And I think I read something that the guys own – I can't remember the exact numbers, but they, on average, for their starting salary, get $3,000 more or $10,000 more per annum, and then that adds up to this huge amount, like $3 million more over the course of their career that they earn, Just be- and that would be purely based on the starting salary, then add in negotiations along the way, and guys just send so much more because they're better at asking for it. And so what I decided to do was – even if I felt like a fraud or even if I felt like I didn't deserve it, I would ask for it anyway. So in the bonus negotiations, every time I would say I'm exceeding expectations, I think that's 100% for, you know, four of the criteria, 80% for three of the criteria, 90% for the rest, therefore I deserve 90% bonus. And I would usually get it because it was hard for them to say, oh, no, actually that bit you could have done better because we have ongoing discussions along the way. But had I gone in and said I'm meeting expectations, I'm doing everything you asked me, I should get 60%, that's all I would have gotten. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I find it like because I went in with that attitude of, well, why should guys get it just because they're willing to ask for it, um, that worked quite well for me in corporate. However... You have to take on a bit of a masculine energy to be able to do that. And maybe in other areas of my life, I'd prefer to be more feminine. <laughs> so did you um, did you give yourself a pep talk or anything before going in? How did you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would always plan what I was going to ask for ahead of time um, and uh, the types of things I would say about, like I would always have examples of work that I'd done that had been praised and projects I'd worked on and results that I had delivered and all that kind of stuff. So I would always have the proof as well um, because then it's much harder to rebut it because things like salary negotiations and review performance reviews, they're not black and white. Like there's always a gray area in there. And so if you go in with as much black and white as you can saying that you deserve it, then it, it's much harder to kind of be like, well, it just doesn't feel quite like you should get that much because you've got all the proof in front of you. Um, and, and guaranteed your manager isn't going to do as much research as you into your performance review. Like you're way more invested in it than they are. So just go in really prepared. They are great tips. Thanks, Sam. So next up we've got recently you told me how you'd inspired a coworker to start as you planned to proceed. So can you tell us a bit more about that? It was actually a friend who told me that that I inspired her about it because I told her about this years ago. And so this was – I actually got told this by someone else, so this is not my idea, but I just took it on board, um, which is that if you go into work and you work your full day and then every single day you leave at 5.15 p.m. and people just start to go, oh, Sam leaves at 5.15 p.m. And then on the odd occasion I stay till 6.30, then people are like, oh, you're doing a late one tonight. If, however, you go in and you start being at work until 6 30 every single night, when you go to leave at 5.15, to other people it looks like you're leaving in the middle of the afternoon. Like, oh, taking an early mark tonight. And I really think that it's important to manage other people's expectations of what you're going to be doing at work and when you're going to be there. So I would always go for the, to the gym at lunchtime and I would – you know, it takes an hour and a half usually by the time you leave the office, go to the class, have a shower, get back. It can easily take an hour and a half. But if you just do it every day, 
people go, oh, yeah, Sam's at the gym at lunchtime, so you can't get her for that hour and a half and don't really think about it anymore. So I think that even within the restrictions of being employed by somebody, you can still decide the things that are most important to you. So this friend that said she was inspired by me, she's got two young kids and she wants to be able to pick them up from after school care before it's too late so you can get home and cook them dinner and have a bit of time in the evening with them. So she says she works nine to five and she just, as soon as she started, she just did nine to five and she left at five on the dot and no one's ever said anything to her because of it. I also think that once you then get to the performance review stage, when you gather all your facts through the year and show that you're performing just as well as everybody else, because in fact, they've done research that shows that working mothers are the most efficient people in the workforce because we've got to get out. We have places to go. We have little people to to take care of. So if you gather your facts, when it comes to the performance review time, you shouldn't be penalized for it either because even if they maybe had a subconscious bias, once you then take all the facts to them, there's a bit more of, oh yeah, she did do all that stuff. And so you can counter some of the subconscious bias. I think that's very true and great advice. And I also think it's important for you to be gathering the facts throughout the year so you can back yourself. So when you have a doubting thought, what do they think or wondering, am I enough? And you've got the facts too to go, I am enough. I'm doing a great job. Totally. And so many people in corporate, including me when I was there, have fraud complex, like you're going to be caught out at any moment. And I remember really clearly, this is, I guess, one of my kind of facts that I gathered as proof that I did know what I was doing. When I was in this, an executive committee meeting and I was, I presented every month to them. But honestly, I would sit there thinking one day they're going to realize, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, one of the chief executive, not then executive director asked a question about the numbers and I kind of froze and was like, I'll have to look into it. I don't know. And then my boss started giving an explanation that was wrong. And I knew that that was going to open up this can of worms that I didn't want to have to deal with. So I, I sort of interrupted and was like, oh, no, actually, that's not quite right. What happened is there was one effect that moved a graph down and then time moved on so it rolled out and that's why it went from that shape to that shape. And there was silence around the table and I was like, uh-oh. And then one of the other general managers kind of giggled and went, good explanation. And then everybody kind of relaxed and we moved on from the from the moment. And it was like, oh, I do know what I'm talking about in here. <laughs> and that was like my, my memory that totally held me like helped me move forward whenever I felt like I was going to get discovered that's very cool yeah so we can all listen out for that tipping point we're like I am enough I do know what I'm doing I can hold hold my own that must have been a nice feeling it was so the third tip today I wanted to cover was a lot of people struggle with being yes people and people pleasers and struggle with saying no in the workplace and I'm guessing you've got some tips on this one too Sam Oh, yeah. I really don't like being told to do stuff that doesn't have any value. And I had a boss once who, it wasn't like he was asking me to do stuff that wasn't valuable, but he would pretty regularly ask me to do stuff and then forget it, forget he'd asked me to do it, or he'd ask me to do something and he'd also ask one or two other people to do the same work because it felt really urgent to him. And so I realized that actually a lot of the work I was delivering to him, he would get it and be like, oh, yeah, thanks, thanks. And he just... 
had forgotten that he had even asked for it. So I implemented a rule that I didn't tell him about that he had to ask me twice for any piece of work that he wanted done. So the first time he would ask, I would say, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll get right onto it. And I just wouldn't do anything about it. And then if he asked me a second time, how's that piece of work coming along? I would say, yeah, it's going really well. I'll get it to you by the end of tomorrow. And then I would start working on it and I would get it done and get it to him. So he didn't know that I was not doing a lot of the stuff he asked me for. But, and I didn't kind of argue with him about it or question him. I just said, sure. And then whenever he actually needed it, it got done. (laughs) So really pay attention actually to your manager's management style. I have another tip there actually too, which is a lot of times when people are yes people, what happens is they just get piled up and piled up and piled up. And so managers or whoever like, oh, well, Sam will always say yes. So we'll just give it to her. And, And they're not cognizant of the impact on it of it on you, either stress or hours at work or whatever. And so I would always say, yeah, totally. I'd love to do that piece of work. Here's what I've got going on at the moment though. So what do you want me to not do to be able to fit that in? And I would put it back on them. And also the phrasing is important. I would say, what do you want me to not do so I can do what you're asking me to do? I didn't say, where do you think I should fit that in? Because that means you have capacity to take it all on. What I was saying was, I don't have capacity. You tell me what is going to be removed to make capacity. Um, So I would never say no, always say yeah. And sometimes they'd go, oh, yeah, you're right, okay. Don't do that actually at the moment. I'll come back to you when you have a bit more time. Um, So then you're not being obstructive, but you're saying that you don't have space to do it. And also sometimes people aren't aware of how many different things you're working on on and so that's a good way of just being like yeah we're here the seven projects I'm working on what would you like me to not do to fit in number eight exactly I think that's it's just one of the best tips ever Sam and and it works and you're right often people don't understand what is on your on your um, plate and yeah and what Sam says worked Um, that's what I encourage my clients to do and it does work the other thing is to potentially just ask some questions to give you some thinking time so you could ask uh, when you say this is urgent what do you mean you could ask if only if I could only do a part of this what part would it be or what part of this is something that only I could do because often again if they come to you then you've probably said yes in the past but actually they could go and and bloody well ask someone else. It doesn't always have to be you. So even if you're giving yourself some thinking time for yourself, but also getting them to just slow down and think a bit more. Yeah, because people, most most managers just take the path of least resistance. So if you always say yes and you always do a good job, of course they're just going to keep giving stuff to you. Um, which also means that most managers, what I have found anyway, is if I wanted something to happen or wanted something to change, if I went to them and said, So this is the problem I'm encountering, but this is what I think we should do about it. What do you think about me implementing these changes? 95% of the time they would say, yeah, go and do that. And then you can make your life easier just by bringing it to their attention and coming to them with a solution. Yeah, that is gold, isn't it? Yeah, what manager wouldn't want an employee with initiative? Fantastic. So Sam, up next, what we cover is either a recurring negative belief or self-talk that you have or are learning to overcome or a fantastic blooper or mistake you've made and recovered from which would you like to share with us today um I think it would probably have to be negative self-talk to be honest I think most negative self-talk that people have can be distilled down to 
the same thing, which is some version of I'm not enough. So I'm not thin enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not young enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not experienced enough, I'm not whatever, I'm not enough. And I have that too. So sometimes it might be I'm not experienced enough to offer this or I'm not I'm not funny enough to stand up in front of people and present stuff or I'm not enough in some way. <laughs> I can't it can present itself in many different ways. And I think the way, the only way, the way that I overcome it is to just do it anyway. So I might feel like I'm not funny enough to stand up in front of a room full of people and present stuff. But then if I just do it, then I find out, you know, find out the truth, which is very rarely that you stand up there and everyone hates you. And do you feel like you collect the evidence as you go? Yes, although not as sort of officially as that. But, yeah, like I I would say I'm building up examples of times that I've done stuff and been successful at it and enjoyed it. I think the activator in you and the competition in you means that you you do get started and you you go anyway. But I think the competition can also be a negative one, though, because then I'm like, it's not good enough, you know. So it makes me get started, but then there's there's a level of – I mean, the thing is, I also – I really strongly believe that it's important not to let – perfect get in the way of done so activation is pretty strong for me in that way like I would always just ship stuff even if it's not perfect but it's more like when it comes down to to something where I've made the story that whatever is whatever I'm delivering is actually about me not just about the product that's where my negative self-talk comes in yep that makes sense and we all have that we all have it it's universal isn't it and it's finding a way to walk through it yeah I actually think it's quite helpful when you realise that everybody has some version of it as well. Like I honestly think you would have to be a sociopath not to have some kind of negative self-talk because just everybody has it. Even people who are really, um, you know, have done a lot of personal development and stuff, they still have doubts and they still have fears and it might it might come out in a less negative way than someone who's not done any of that and just thinks of themselves as a horrible person. But we all have something that we that is our growing edge. And, yeah, I think it's helpful to know, well, everyone's got it. I read a quote the other day, which I can't quote correctly back to you now, but it was something like, if only we knew, could see inside everyone else's craziness, we would feel so much better about our own. (laughs) So true. And that's why we're sharing a little bit of our craziness right here and right now. (laughs) In service of others. (laughs) Yeah. So we're hearing that, you know, this fantastic dynamic woman called Sam who successfully doubled her salary in three years and has started and had a number of successful businesses also has I'm not enough and competition strength sometimes trips her up in terms of wanting things to be as darn good as possible and so yeah it's universal we're we're all human fantastic Sam we've covered a lot of great hints now we get to the fun part of setting a challenge what challenge would you like to set today I think my challenge is going to be around this start as you want to go on idea. And so I want to challenge everybody to make a change that they would like to maintain in the long run um, that just brings a little bit more joy or space or whatever into their life. So maybe that's twice a week, not eating lunch at your desk, but getting up and going to the gym or going for a walk or going and doing something around the city or meeting a friend Or maybe it's leaving work at 5 p.m. twice a week so that you can go pick your kids up from school or go out with friends or do whatever you want to do. Or um, maybe it is implementing the 
I would love to do that, but can you tell me what you would like me to not do to fit that in? Um, so something like that, which you'll then just create as a, as a new boundary around who you are as an employee uh, that you just carry on and then people start to go, oh, yeah, every Wednesday she leaves at five to go and pick your kids up. Fantastic. I love that challenge. And, I, yeah, you've got to let us know what challenge you pick and how you go. And um, so how can people find you, Sam? Because I'm thinking also your um, Everyday Adventure Online program would, you know, I'm sure people would love to hear more about that. Where can they find that? Yeah. Okay, so I think the best ways to find me are www theeverydayadventure.com, Everyday Evolution. That's where you find my online program. Uh, So that's the eight weeks of challenges and changes in different areas of your life to try and lift your life and bring a bit more joy just in the everyday spaces. Uh, The other place that people can find me is through my corporate work. I'm doing, I'm offering corporate strategy workshops at the moment that's the main thing that I'm actually offering from the website so um just go to my homepage and then follow work adventures and you'll find the information there or send me an email sam at the everydayadventure.com and yes I think the online program everyday evolution or corporate workshops are where I'm at right now if you're interested in some of the other adventure stuff like the caper club that we talked about feel free to send me an email and I can inform you when I if I open that stuff back up again sounds perfect so a couple of things to check out with Sam Uh, thank you so much for your top hints today they are incredibly valuable and fantastic we'll say bye for now thanks Sam thanks for having me thanks for listening two things I'd like to mention Firstly, if you're keen to boost your happiness at work, then head on over to www.nikkismith.net.au, which is N-I-K-K-I-S-M-I-T-H.net.au and sign up for your starter kit. I share tips in there that are easy to implement and are pure gold. Secondly, if you crave a new work role and have no idea what to do or lots of ideas but don't know where to start, then head on over and check out the 7-Step Career Change online program. This is an awesome system I use to help people create their dream life best fit role, which is a role that matches their strengths, interests and lifestyle needs. It will move you from feeling fed up, unsure and unconfident to clear, inspired and motivated in six weeks. Plus, if you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.